This is Steve Colfer, head coach at Cabrini University. You are listening to More Than a Club Podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lane. Welcome back to More Than a Club podcast for episode eight of season two. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, and we are grateful to be with you again as we get even closer to the spring 2021 season. I think we have another interesting show for you, highlighted by another great guest. How about you, Coach Coop? Thanks, Bill. Excited to get rolling here. Another awesome college coach with us. I'm sure we're going to share some laughs, hear some stories, and learn a lot. So get your notepad ready. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to the next box teams. We've been busy over the last few weeks, indoors, outdoors, boys and girls, um, and proud of all the work being done there. Thanks, yeah, Coach. It's been lots of fun, especially our new adventure with the girls. Girls box. It's been great. You're doing great. Yeah, tons of fun. Coach Rush and I getting a whole new experience. Been helping them with their ponytails, Coach. You'd be proud of me. <laughs> Love in their pads, and we had our first victory, so really a new adventure for me. But today, like usual, we will touch on aspects of lacrosse for players, parents, and coaches. But joining us is a national championship coach, Steve Colfer, head coach of Cabrini University outside of Philly. Welcome, Coach. Happy to be here, Coach. Uh, Marty, thanks for having me in. Uh, couldn't be uh, more excited to be talking about lacrosse, as you said, getting closer and closer to the uh, 21 season. Um, we're keeping our fingers crossed and getting ready mentally and physically for, for the grind. And uh, anytime we can, I can go listen to lacrosse and, and talk about it. I'm always excited to do that. And uh, I'm happy to be here tonight. Thanks for being with us. Thank talk you. about it. Indeed. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Love it. So let's go over your resume, coach. Very impressive. A lifetime coach, great person, professional in the business of higher education. So I hope I make you proud as I roll uh, through we here could all skip your this section. Yeah, I bet we could, yeah. but we're not. So <laughs> as a player, graduated from Silesianum in 1989 as an all-state midfielder, off then to the University of Scranton as a long stick midfielder. I'd like to hear that trans. It's <laughs> a good story. <laughs> as a as a coach, 20 seasons at the helm of Cabrini's men's lacrosse program. Won the 2019 Division III National Championship with a 16-12 win over Amherst, led by 10 All-Americans. 2019 Coaching Staff of the Year, followed closely by the 2019 Coach of the Year. You've mentored the Cavaliers to 19 consecutive Colonial State Athletic Conference and Atlantic East titles, which is amazing. 18 straight appearances in the NCAA tournament. Probably more than a 288 win, 73 career and a, seven, a .798 winning percentage, which ranks among the top 10 coach and coaches of all time at any division. 13-time winner of the CSAC Coach of the Year honor. And then to bring it home, you were an assistant coach at Cabrini for three years before becoming the head coach. How'd I do? You did great. <laughs> but I, the only thing I will say is last week when wow. I read through your bio, I think mine still probably is a little less than yours. So I am honored and humbled by those, uh, that uh, gracious introduction, but uh, I'm also honored and humbled to be in your presence and, 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 and learn from you and, and talk lacrosse with you as well. So thanks for the kind words, yep. coach. So how about a little more besides lacrosse about your family and what else you like to do? Sure. Uh, you know, I, we live here in, uh, in this area, you know, uh, as we sit here tonight uh, in, in, in the Concha Hawkins studios, uh, I, I live over in Wayne, Pennsylvania, not far from here. 
my first, I used to live in Conshohocken when I was young and single and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, still have a house here that, um, you know, and, um, but, uh, we live in Wayne with my wife and two daughters. And so we're talking about the indoor girls box lacrosse league. Hopefully that's still around as they, uh, are getting early. I'm a hashtag girl dad, you know what I mean? And proud that's of great. it. Me too. You me know, too. Absolutely. And, um, so, you know, involved in their lives and, and, and my, uh, my wife is a pharmaceutical executive in, in the Philadelphia area. Uh, and, um, we, you know, when we're not, when I'm not coaching lacrosse or recruiting or doing those types of things, we love going down to the Jersey shore in the summer, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and being down there and being around family and, and, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, our kids are our lives, um, whatever they're involved in, whatever they're trying to get involved, you know, we, we do. And, and, um, and so that, that keeps us, uh, keeps us grounded and keeps us busy. And, uh, and, uh, but it's been, it's been just a wonderful, you know, partnership being in this part, being from originally from Westchester and not growing up too far from here and being able to stay here, coach here and, and, and make our, make our life here. has been, uh, it's been wonderful. So. Excellent. So we'll keep this rolling. Uh, we like to start with a hot topic for parents. Uh, really today, it's just going to be your job title and explaining a little bit more about, you know, what that looks like. So as an assistant director of athletics for recruitment and retention at Cabrini, tell us what's that like? <laughs> oh, it's everything. I mean, <laughs> it is nonsense. That's a meat grinder. No, it is. Basically, it is uh, it is building upon two things, right? As a coach, you're, you're a recruiter. And, and, and also as a coach, you're in, in retention. You're keeping players within your program, within the athletic department, so forth. But more specifically for me, I spent 11 years in the, in the admissions office at Cabrini. When I first started at the university, um, part coach, every coach was part-time. And so I realized quickly after year one or two as an assistant, like to be really successful and we would play these schools that would, you know, really pound us into the ground. You, you looked at what they had, right? And, and a lot of them had longstanding successful coaches that were on campus full time that had built a culture that could, you know, generate alumni support, that could have these big events, they could get stadiums built and facilities built and all those things. And so we weren't there, right? And so... I realized that early on, like to, you're gonna, it's it's not gonna be a quick build, it's not gonna be a quick fix, you know, unless you get a, a you know a dump truck of money, um, and uh, so I, I hunted down a job on campus in the admissions office, and it was literally the first job I had was a part-time job, like making phone calls at night, which turned into a, uh, an internship, which turned I was in grad school at the time, which turned into a, a entry-level admissions counselor, and, and ten years. 11 years later, I had risen to the rank of senior associate director of the admissions office. So point being, I took 11 years of admissions, recruiting, um, understanding the application funnel process, right fits, majors, why we have certain majors, why we don't have certain majors, you know, wh what's our primary market, what's our secondary market, what's our tertiary market, you know, you get into all these, you know, so you're really looking at the business side of higher ed. And on the other side, I'm recruiting and trying to build a lacrosse program as well. You know, but those two, you know, uh, enterprises are working side by side. You know, when I would go to down to Baltimore and go to Calvert Hall High School for a college admissions fair at night, and they, you know, the old school ones where you go to the gym, the tables were there. I'd be there. Now I may very well be in a Cabrini lacrosse golf polo with the table, or maybe I'd have my cards on the table. So I am there representing the university admissions office, but then I was able to also build relationships. I would always, if I was going to a high school or an area, I would always reach out and network with the coaches in the area uh, and try to get in and drop off pamphlets, business cards, and so forth. So now jump forward 11 years, I'm now transitioning over to being a full-time lacrosse coach. Um, 
you know, it, it was the right move to be able to maintain a certain level of, of administrative leadership and also take the experience with me. And so now my position is, is, is really helping students cross the athletic programs, you know, with the retention piece, helping with the more recruitment pieces with young coaches coming in, young assistants, new head coaches to Cabrini, and help teaching them best practices, you know, things that may have worked at Cabrini, uh, things, messages and stories you can tell, and, and trying to help them craft their message you know, their recruitment profile for their program, whether it be baseball or soccer or crew or basketball, whatever it may be. Uh, and then the retention piece is, as you would think, you know, trying to keep student athletes there at Cabrini when certain issues arise, whether it be academic or athletic or student life or life outside of campus. And, and just trying to rely on my experience and my network and, and, and um, you know, really pull on the um, relationships and, um, that I've developed at Cabrini and, and utilize it in the best interest of the student athlete at that point. So. Yeah, so retention's becoming such a huge topic in university yeah. level and huge. even in private high schools. Yeah. How do we keep students who are struggling, whether, as you mentioned, socially, academically? Did you find that there were any, like, pointers of retention that we, we could all focus on as educators and as parents? You know, I think we, you know, the, the thing we always talk about is right fit, right? And sometimes that, the, the, it's, it's a series of questions, it's experiences, experiences. I know in lacrosse what we've tried to move away from is that those early decisions, right? Because kids were deciding to commit in eighth grade because it was a, a worry that the spot, the opportunity offered to me now will not be there tomorrow. And so we've now kind of moved away from that in our game a little bit, right? Um, and so I think that's clearly helped allowed young men and women to mature a little bit, um, you know, be a little bit more um, uh, uh, reflective on the choice that they're going to make and how this, this four years can impact the next 40 years if, if the right choice is made. Um, and so I think, again, it's trying to make sure that, you know, for us, it's, it's retention is recruiting the player, but it's also recruiting the family. It's making sure that mom, dad, grandma, aunt, uncle, whoever's involved in the process is comfortable with that. We try to really engage them along the way. And I think there's, there's a level, I always call it a marriage, and, and, and we want to get this marriage, and we want it to be that first step, be the right step. Uh, and I think it's the two words that I use with young college coaches who are interested in recruiting or at high school or wherever is be genuine and be authentic. You know, let your message be authentic to your university, your college, your organization, and you as a person be genuine. And if you do that, you're going to have a more uh, opportunity to, to attract right fit, and then right fit is going to influence retention. Right fit makes retention numbers, you know, go higher in terms of percentages, and kids leaving outside doors in the middle of the night, you know, potentially go down. It doesn't eliminate them. It never will eliminate them. But uh, I think right fit recruiting and whatever that looks like for your organization is, is critical to make sure you're asking the right questions along the way. It increases your odds. Yeah. Absolutely. You're just finishing this process as a dad. We visited, I don't know, 15 schools, and you could feel right yeah. fit, whatever yeah. that means. I mean, yeah. You would read some, but getting on campus, walking around, yeah. and then listening to your young person, like listening to my daughter and what she had yeah. to say, and then trying to ask the right questions as a dad and not say too much, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And then you could actually like almost feel it unfolding as you were together, especially two days later yeah. when you're in the house and you say, so did you, could you see yourself yeah. being there yeah. and why? Yeah. And you would really find that that idea of a right fit, good fit is true because at the end of the day, it's fitting. It's not being somebody you're not and trying to go to a school maybe that's too hard for you or too easy for you. Yeah, it's interesting because my kids are still young so they're, yeah, yeah, and, and I don't know if, if athletics will be their path or whatever 
you know, path in life they choose will be awesome. But um, I'm curious if I'm in a similar field or, you know, like what will it be like to be a parent on that, you know, in that process? I, I listened to one of your previous podcasts with, uh, with Brian Volker, you know, and he was talking about it from his perspective with his sons. And it had me thinking, I'm like, wow, what would that be like? You know, listening to the coaches you know, maybe even a competitor, you know, and I know guys in our business have done that, have had sons and daughters go to schools because they wanted to blaze their own path, which I love. I think what a, what a, what a, what a testament to, you know, fatherhood to say, hey, I want you to come here, but it's going to be better if you go somewhere else to blaze your own path, right. you know, and be comfortable in that. Like, what would that be like? And so it's so interesting to hear that and what it would, you know, to be involved in that process from the other side would be would be uh would be pretty cool yeah and COVID's going to present an interesting situation even for schools like LaSalle and Haverford yeah. and the other private schools because we've been just thinking ahead we're going to have young people attend LaSalle a competitive school as ninth graders and in their eighth grade and part of their seventh grade year they were virtual yeah and so they're going to go from maybe not having received a report card for a year and a half or yeah. not having been in class to going into a class if this is all resolved and we're all together yeah. And we don't want it to be shocking. So yeah. we have to look ahead at how do we help these guys arrive, help them do school, and then retain them. And I saw that as we went around, my daughter and I, to these universities. So many of the universities we visited treated the freshmen a little bit differently, made sure they were holding their hand socially, emotionally, athletically, mm -hmm. in every way. So they know that if they, if they arrive and transition well, retention will be yeah. a better which situation. is funny. I agree with everything you said. But later in this, if we if we get into a certain point, which I think might be coming in our future, it'll be interesting that I'm I'm, I'm going to bat that ball back across the net at you in one of my pieces of advice for parents uh, in, in with today's high school uh, student athletes and, and what I think they can best do in those types of situations. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the 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 process of going and trying to and the people, you know, I get this question all the time when on recruiting visits from parents. They say, you know, you know, my, my son commits here. You know, are you going to be here, right? Are you going to stay? You know, what, 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 or what keeps you here? Those types of questions. And, and, and it's the people. It's, it's the relationships that you build out over the course of 20-plus years, in my case, that are so hard to walk away from. Uh, and, and sh you know, and that to me is uh, what we try to upsell because those are the people that are going to be there in the moments of crisis. They're going to be there in the moments, not the great triumphs of winning the big games and the championships and so forth, but the moments of great crisis, you know, job loss, sickness, illness, academic, um, you know, upheaval, um, you know, got, you know, every, the world we live in. And, and those are the people that as a parent, you know, and as a coach that we rely on in those moments, those, those, those late night phone calls, those text messages on a Sunday, you know, morning that get responded to in 15 seconds. Um, you know, that's what I think has, has, you know, I've, it's resonated with me about a university like Cabrini and why I've been so passionate about it. So when I go out and market and talk to families and recruits about it, it's easy for me, for me to talk about that. Uh, I, I, I've never pitched myself as a salesman. I don't feel, I never felt comfortable in that role. I got out of industry because I didn't feel comfortable in that. But you know, in reality, I am, you know, um, but I've it never I just tell stories and those stories are about people and the people that are going to be in their day to day lives. And I think that drives retention, uh, you know, and um, and makes people feel like, you know what? Yeah, I've had a rough day or a rough week, but you know what? I'm in the right place and I have the right people in my corner.
Yeah, you win with people, and you also stay with people. Yeah, you know, and stay absolutely. Put. Yeah. Good, good spot. Great advice, dad, coach, <laughs> administrator. <laughs> Outstanding. Yep. So we move on to our second phase of our show, which is for coaches, kind of the X and O insight of the week. And we were on the phone a couple weeks ago talking about clearing. We don't have our whiteboard here to uh, display for all of our listeners. But when I say clearing, kind of what does that mean to you, coach? That means we are getting ready to play offense. You know Love what it. I mean? And, and that really is like, and, and that's how I've always kind of seen the game. Uh, and, uh, and so getting ready to score and, and basically score as quickly as possible. And so, you know, I've come through a lot of different variations of the clearing rule. You know, from when I started playing the game, there was no clearing count. You could get, you could get to the far restraint box, not like what you see, and go all the way back and reset it, right? Or if you were trying to kill time. To now I'm playing the college rule where, you know, we have – 20-second count to get it across, and then we have an 80-second count total. And the more time that we, you know, or the less time we chew up in a clear count, the more time to play offense. And so clearing to me is that is a quick transition from ball possession to getting the ball to your most deft stick handlers, your goal scorers, your assist guys, uh, and being able to put yourself into, um, you know, a position to do that through effective, efficient um clearing situations you know and and doing it in a number of different ways so good x and o clearing system or great athletes or a little both i like both you know i mean i think both i think at the college level we have the ability to x and o and then recruit to the x and o right and that's something i would say for coaches who are recruiting young college coaches or guys that are trying to formulate the idea of what their program is about it's have an idea of who you want to be and then try to you know, now you morph and we change and we see, recognize our strengths quickly and we have to make, you know, adjustments. But I think recruiting at the collegiate level allows you to have an idea of how you want to play and what pace and tempo and then try to, you know, fill in those answers. And some years you don't get it. Some years you or your best guy who does something gets hurt and you have to morph. You have to change. You have to adjust. Um, but uh, I think it's a combination of both. You know what I mean? Uh, I think they need the system needs to be beaten into them, muscle memory through repetition and practice. You know, when the adrenaline's flying, it's late May, it's 90 degrees, everyone's yelling, muscle memory has to kick in through repetition. Um, and then at, in plays, when you go back and watch film, you look at it as a coach, we've all done it, and be like, I, I didn't teach him that. I couldn't ever have taught him that. I couldn't personally have done that. You know what? That is just a straight-out athlete making a play right there in the moment. And God, thank God that. he did because, <laughs> you know, I would have gone left right there and I probably would have walked into a triple team. He went right and eluded it, and we cured the ball, and we won the game, and we advanced, or we win a big game in the regular season and so forth. So I think it's a combination of both. But I, I do believe in the repetition of clearing. I, you know, my philosophy on clearing – goes back to my days as a player and, 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 and maybe hopefully you resonate this and some people listening to it is I hated it and I loved it. And I'm going to tell you why, because the days when it was cold and rainy or not, or, or at the end of practice and you were doing, you know, skeleton clears or, 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 you know, there was just always one or two guys who just didn't remember, couldn't catch the over ball, <laughs> dropped the ball in the 45 and we would do it over and over. And it was just, it was just mind numbing. Right. The other days, it was like you'd look at the practice plan and you'd see riding and clearing, and you knew, oh, yeah, I can. This is easy peasy. I can hide out in the back <laughs> here, like I can catch an over ball, throw it up, and I'm good. And I'm going to be back here with Jimmy and Bobby, and we're going to yuck it up, and we're going to, you know. <laughs> so as a coach, I'm thinking, all right, it. yeah, I we don't want, you know, either of those things. So my my mentality of clearing is let's make it as fun, competitive, but teach muscle memory 
teach system, but do it in a way that is driving that competition level up each day. At the same time, we're getting productive uh, repetitions out of it, and we're and we're not losing guys mentally, you know. And and uh, and I think that's what my philosophy of clearing has been driven by. Yeah, uh, and we're talking about four or five different situations. You know, lacrosse is about situations. So yeah, we, we can have four or five, six different clearing situations after a save. Yeah, yeah. Off the end line. Yep. Deep on the sideline. Right. Up near the box on the sideline. Right. And my least favorite of all, where I would turn to Coach Rush and be like, help me on these, yeah. is dead ball restarts where you're just five or six yards behind the X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're kind of out, but you're not out. Yeah. And everybody's right in front of you riding. Do you go back? Yeah. Do you go forward? And, and, the, and I think what the, the trick is, what I have found, is try to simplify so that no matter of the situation, whether you're playing on, on a 110-yard field or, a, to your point, like a 70-yard field or whatever in terms of where the ball is being re reengage that the rules and the concepts stay the same because if and I remember in my playing days we would have the sideline clear off the horn we'd have that and guys would just love get, those by the well, way they would get confused <laughs> though you, you know and I always say this to offensive players we recruit you know we don't have a, a, a 10 15 20 30 page playbook that you're going to memorize plays army x1 goes here navy x2 goes here because X1 through 4 always know the plays. X5 knows half the plays, and X6 never knew the plays. He was just an athlete who just yeah. could, could wing it. But he, he drove everyone else insane, parents in the stands, coaches on the sidelines, teammates. But he would make a play every now and then, and you were, you were, you were teased by that. You know, So we play conceptual offensive lacrosse, and I know I'm not here to talk about that, but riding and clearing you know, and that concept of letting, you know, no matter how big the field is, um, or where you're clearing the ball, the rules kind of try to stay the same so we can rely on that, again, muscle memory. So, Coach, just to wrap up clearing, do you have a drill or two or something from practice that yeah, our coaches so could take? Like a like couple foundational ones is uh, we do a two-ball drill. It's called two balls, and it's a, it's a, it's a four-on-three off the sideline. So four offensive lines, three off defensive lines. You know, So for ours, we're royal blue and white. So four lines of royal and, 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 and three lines of white or, or vice versa, however you're school. And coach rolls. So you have coach on one side with the balls. You have another coach on the far sideline with another set of balls. Ball comes in off the sideline. They play a four-on-three to the cage. Now you have a goalie in the cage, and you have a designated close defenseman down in the far side corner who's in every time. They run out and they play a four-on-three to the goal in the box, play it out however it goes. Whatever that ever ball ends up, it goes to the end line, it goes in the goal, it gets mishandled out of bounds, irregardless. A second ball is coming in. Second ball is played out. So that coach over there is usually a young offensive GA who can snap the ball in quickly, <laughs> accurately. It ain't me, right? Those days are over. And they throw it right to the ear of a kid. He catches it and the defense has to adjust. That ball, whatever happens, happens. They clear the second ball. The goalie makes the save or digs a ball out. If the ball went to the end line, we clear it right out of the cage. He, he is first read is read it to throw it to the open defenseman who's unaccounted for it. Then we have a three-man ride in there who ride. We, our one rule is ride the goalie. Ha, always have to ride it. We just don't want this drill to be everyone's locked off. The goalie walks up. It defeats the drill. And you can make different rules with the three riders. You can, you can get away from your own riding rules. You can just change it up and make your defensive players think. Successfully clear it to the midline, you know, you're good. Not successfully clean, you might have a little transitional running, as we like to call it, that clears the brain of the mistake. Uh, if offense scores two, four on threes, you know, the defense may have a little transitional running they need to clear the brain. Um, but that's a quick kind of half field, not even a half field, you know, in-the-box drill that gets a lot of reps quick. We do it in the first 15 minutes of practice every day. You get over balls. You get balls on the 45. You get to 
goalies clearing it out. You get four on three work. You get a lot of things in a small amount of time. It sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of our staples. You know, it's a quick two ball, and we do it uh, in a number of different you know uh, days throughout the week. And I like the riding part where you can change up the riders because the truth is you can go through your systems in different places all the time, yeah. but you, yet you still have to deal with your opponents who may be 10-manning, dropping yeah. back, pressing the goalie, locking everybody off, but the yeah. goal, it, it's endless. So yeah. you've got to know how to do it in each spot situation. You also have to know how to do it in each spot while responding yeah. to the strategy of your opposing coach and his players. And then the other big one we do is NASCAR, and we do this every day, and it's probably one of our players' favorite. It's 10v10. It looks like a lacrosse game. It's 10, and he starts with a face-off. But the ball is never the, – the, once the ball goes out of bounds, whoever shoots it, you know, Marty steps down from 17, goes to hammer a corner, and it misses, goes to the end line. It's the defense's ball. They're picking it up, and they're clearing right away. So it forces middies. Maybe they can sub, maybe they can't. They got to ride. Oh, middies got to ride. You can change the rules. We'll, we'll say, hey, Blue, you're, you're clearing in 25. White, you're clearing in 35, which are our clear calls or whatever. And so – you're riding in this, you're riding in that, but you're getting, a, you're getting 15, 20 clears in a six-minute period, right? Again, going back to my original point about riding and clearing, you would do these skeleton or stagnant clears. As coaches, we're always trying to craft situational learning. But the ball doesn't always cooperate. Players don't always cooperate. So we're always saying, how do we, we want situational learning? You know, and we, we, in our minds, when we draw it up at 11 o'clock at our desk, it's yeah. situational learning. Then you get out on the field and we just – we get stagnant, you know, a play happens, something happens, and we don't, so we said, let's do this, let's get as many repetitions in as possible, and that goes back to your point about system or athlete. NASCAR becomes more about athlete, but trying to drive system within and, and, and trying to get them to the right spots, but more about getting it out and playing, playing up and down lacrosse. Once there's a goal or there's enough up and down, we blow it down, we put new players in, we may face it off again and go. We do that for five or six minutes. In five or six minutes, you can you can get five clears one way, rides one with you know five the other way. You get more than that depending on the pace of play, all of those things. So you can shorten down for us. We'll shorten down the shot clocks in those. We'll give them like forty second shot clocks so they're you know they have to hammer you know. And so you're not coaching the shot. You know if a kid takes one from the top of the box, he takes one from the top of the box. You know that's that's not the point of the drill. Uh, it's it's getting as many rides and clears, and then you're not losing your mind as a coach or as a player being like. You know, I touched the ball once in that 10-minute period. Stagnant I, drill. Stagnant drill, and I didn't really get any better, and there's no competition. Players want to compete, and we know that, right? And I always say to recruits, it's the great battle we will fight. You will come in here from day one, and you'd be happy as a first-day freshman. Let's go play a game. Let's play a game. And as a coach, I never want to play. I want to practice, practice, practice. I want to tinker, tinker, tinker till I think it's exactly right. Then I want to roll the car out onto the street to see what I have. And so that battle rages from day one, you know. And so I found is I know we need to practice. They know we need to practice. But let's create as many competition-based drills and f drills where we can compete and drive that competition meter up in those six- or seven-minute periods that we use throughout that teaches us how to win and lose in practice every day and teaches us to win and lose in the first half of practice or the second half of practice or whatever. And I think that's – that's really important for programs to understand. Like competing is a good thing, you know, and, and, and even losing is a good thing in terms of how you bounce back from it. What are the teaching points of that? What do we take from that? And how does that drive us forward, even in, even in a two-hour practice window? Yeah. And the amount of decision-making by the players in both of those drills yeah. 
priceless. The one thing you need is balls, right? So you yeah. need to surround the field <laughs> up and down. I was going to say, where are the balls coming from? They're, They're just everywhere. everywhere. Marty, okay. they, yeah. we line the sidelines, the end lines. We take all the buckets and we throw them out there. And, and the only way it slows down is, and we all have them, are the ball snobs who hunt the best for the best, you know, ball. And uh, that only thing slows it down. But they usually run up, scoop one up, and go. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Sometimes Sounds two guys like are trying. Sometimes two balls will get onto the field. Sometimes we let it play out. We're like, all right, let's, <laughs> see, if we can, let's see if we can ride this ball back twice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, it is um, – and that's actually happened to us in a game, and it actually ended in our favor. But we got, we got so whistle-ready that we had two balls going, and the one ref didn't even realize it, and we threw the ball out of bounds. And that <laughs> was the, the ball. That was the ball that the ref who had blown it in was playing. So technically, it should have been the other team's ball. But the other ref, two other refs, overrode him and let the ball that we just scored, wow. you know, be the goal. And you know, it was like a three or four game. I won't mention the opponent because I'm not sure if they ever realized <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, it did happen to us, and that's called being extremely whistle ready to get the ball back into play. Yeah, you practiced it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Man, Coach, I love your passion, especially for <laughs> yeah, clearing. Yeah. Who would have thought, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm like half fired up to unretire right now. <laughs> we'll take you. I always tell you, we'll take you anytime. All right, so our third section is for uh, culture building, right? Mostly for players who are listening. How to, how to mold into a good culture, how to contribute to a good culture. And I had the honor to speak to your guys last week, and that you could just feel that you guys had something special there. So when we talk about Cabrini Lacrosse and the locker room mm -hmm. and their love for one another, mm -hmm. how do you guys create that? Well, again, I think it goes the jump back a section or two about recruiting, right? And recruit and, and, and trust your players in the recruiting process. Like being a host has, has special connotation within our program. Like make sure that you're being authentic and genuine in your presentation as a coach, but as a player, uh, we involve our players in that presentation. Um, using Zoom now is such a unique opportunity because, you know, again, Marty Cooperon's coming to visit Cabrini. He's That day he's there with his parents, you're left to be ever who's there, right? Whoever you may walk into across campus. You know, hey, and we're walking around, we see Billy Leahy, our star midfielder, and hey, we have a sidebar, and it was a nice chance encounter. Now with, like, Zoom, we can we can have interactions, not as per interpersonal, as in per but we can create more interactions for you on top of the campus. Like course. if you know I want to be a teacher, you yes. can have uh, an yes. education. instead of, like, you know, hey, Marty, I got Tommy, but he's in class, so let's see if we can catch him on campus. He's going to be in, like, we were, you know, and, and they, they try to do a good job, but we've been able to use, again, take a not a great situation that COVID has presented us and use it in a different way, um, you know, and, and really try to craft the message to build the right recruitment plan, get the right fit to help influence culture. Um, you know, we talk about recruiting the family, you know, and recruiting mom and dad and grandparents and, and, and whoever else is involved in decision making. I think that's critical um, that they feel engaged um, and that they feel that um, that they have um, they have access to you in the right way. Not not. Hey, is is Billy on the first line? And if not, why? Right. We don't entertain that conversation. But hey, how's he doing? You know, like I, we go out to the post-game tailgates after every game, like as a coaching staff. We shower up, we talk, we do a deep brief, and we go out. And we want to be there. We want to interact. We want to share fellowship with our team or with our players and their families, and our families are all there. But at the same time, those sidebar one-off conversations are critical for us to be sh having a shared vision of their son, um, you know, within where he is and those types of things. And, and, and they're usually brief. How's he doing? Good. You know, hey, hey, you know, just so you know, you know, his grandfather just recently had a little bit of this or, you know, dad's, you know, whatever it may be. That information is critical. And, and, and I always say to our recruits, parents, like you'll see coaches at these events, you know, the recruiting events, 
there's two types of coaches. There's the coaches that are going to go right, walk right through the parents, and there's going to be the coaches that will go 13 fields around the parents to get to the next field. You know, And I'm a coach that's going to go right through the parents because I love those little interactions, those little sidebar conversations, because that's where you can get critical information that, again, feed right fit, feed culture, feed retention. Uh, and I think that's, that's really, really critical to what our locker room looks like as a personality, why guys come to Cabrini University, and why they stay. You know, we had seven guys, um, you know, play. We're, we're using senior eligibility in 2020 when COVID hit. Those seven of those guys are back at Cabrini right now, uh, either uh, finishing up an additional undergraduate program or in our graduate school program. None of them came to me and said, hey, I want to play a fifth year um, and I want to explore some other options to, to a broad, which I would have been fine with. And, and, and all of them had to come to me with an educational blueprint on why Cabrini for another Made year sense. or two was the right sense. This wasn't, I just want to come back and score goals and win, and that wasn't the reason. But I think that speaks to the culture, right? At that point, like, they wanted to come back to be part of this culture, this team, this program, um, and not just to play more lacrosse. They could play more lacrosse at a lot of places, you know. Uh, and sometimes it may, um, you know, um, they could have had other opportunities. Um, and we've had other guys with eligibility leave our program and go play Division One lacrosse on that fifth year, you know. Uh, and some of them have earned scholarships. Uh, and so, but that's something I think speaks to our culture and speaks to the guys within the room and, and to what we've worked at in terms of, um, you know, so I don't know if there's an exact blueprint. I think there are certain, cult the culture doesn't, the faces change, the group dynamic changes. I think I say it the beginning of each meeting, uh, each semester, you know, the dynamic of this, our team has a one-year life expectancy. You know, the, the, it, we start in August as a group, and this group will go as far as we can into May, you know, God willing, and, and, and it'll change at the end of it. This, this team, this entity will, 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 will you know, um, disappear, and the next group will replace that. The culture can't. The culture can't ride that same, you know, life cycle. It has to, it has to sustain through there. Uh, and I think you feed that with quality people and, and, and um, you know, continually feed into that and trusting your network, trusting high school coaches and club coaches who get to know you, who take the time to get to know you, who come over and spend time with you or come and listen to you speak at a presentation or, or come to your campus to speak and then sit down and talk to you for 15, 20 minutes. When they call or text with a guy, Right. And I think we've tried to do a really good job, especially in the Philadelphia market, of being a school that someone will pick up a phone and say, hey, I know every school isn't recruiting this guy, but you should. And here's why. And I think we have embodied that, that he's a really good lacrosse player who will be the right fit for you. It's not that he's not a scholarship level player at the Division One level, right? You know, of course, we'd love a team for those guys. That's not realistic. But when we know what the, if guys get to know us and know our program, then they can recruit you know, and send right fit to us, which again, drives culture, drives everything. It drives who we are from, from every, every, from the top to the bottom. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think we're, we're extremely blessed with the relationships and especially the location that we're in here in the Philadelphia market and the access to you guys and to all the high school and club coaches that um, have been so good to us over the years and out, you know, obviously in the other areas of the country, but you know, this is our, this is our home turf. Yeah, so. I love it. A one year life expectancy. Yeah. Isn't that the truth, right? You begin, you form your team, you struggle through who's on the first midfield, who's on the second, yep. and they still have to love one another when yep. those decisions are made. And then you take this crazy journey 
with ups and downs and things you never expected, and you're not even close to the same team when you get three quarters through that you were in the beginning. Somebody gets hurt, injuries, yep. things you never expected, and then all of a sudden you're at the end, which is really the most important part, and you hope luck has broken your way, and you hope you've done a good job yeah. teaching, and you hope the injury bug hasn't gotten you, right. and then you're ready to try to go to the tournament and get in the tournament and then, then to see what happens. And I think that keeps freshmen and younger guys engaged because if I go in as a freshman and be like, this is a four-year journey. If I think about it as a four-year journey, I'm not going to get the most out of my first year because I'm thinking I got, I got the, all the time. Time is my – I got all the time in the world. I don't – you know, I yeah, can sit back. Like I can disengage. I can be less vested. I can be less hungry because – now, that may play itself out because of there might be experienced upperclassmen or you may be the three deep at your position and you're playing hard. But I think if they understand that you need to take this as not a four-year experience but four one-year experiences is how we talk about it at Cabrini. You know, I think that's critical for engagement and for getting the best out of your kids on and off the field. You know, and that's really how we try to reset it each year and, and, and try to be one and oh, you know, and we always talk about we never talk about the body of our schedule. We never talk about, you know, game four or the pivot points in our schedule. We literally talk about the first game from August forward to being what are we doing in September and October, November to influence being one and oh on February 20th, you know, against Haverford, you know, or whoever we're opening up with that day. Uh, and that drives. And as soon as we clear you know, um, the Haverford out of our mind, then it's what are we doing to be 1-0 against Lynchburg Father. or Salisbury or whoever we're playing that next game. And that really drives our mentality, and it never allows guys to look at the schedule more than just that first game. We did that years ago at LaSalle, so we had a full board on the wall with um, professional tape over every game. Yeah. We just pulled it off, yeah. and we'd say, that's exactly. next, three yeah. days, and look All who right. it is. Yeah. And then that game after it was yeah. over, next. Yeah. We have a countdown clock in our locker room, which a lot of programs have, which we, you know, we come back, whether it's a home game or if it's an away game, we come back and we reset it, right? And that's the countdown to the next face-off, right? And, and you can see it, and, and guys know as soon as that, you know, win or lose, you know, I have 72 hours to do everything in my pos that I can possibly be doing, you know, and uh, uh, to be 1-0 the next day. And, and really, that's how we've always we've framed it that way, and I think it keeps it simple, right? And I, and I think it allows it, and, 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 and maybe that's more to who I am, but it has kept it simple for me, uh, and, and, uh, and it just it doesn't let us get overwhelmed and, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do X, Y, Z over the course of the season and, and, and so forth, and, you know, and it's just something that's kind of driven our culture. Yeah. And to end this section, I think as coaches, we can relate to what I'm going to say here is the life expectancy. And then as a coach, when it ends, yeah, the weeks that follow, you know, even some years when we won it all, yeah, I would go home and then have this loss, right? The sense of loss mm -hmm. that I missed these guys that I spent four months with every day, but Sundays for hours, eating, sleeping, drinking, thinking lacrosse and film. I, you know, my wife was always there, but she'd say, I'm not really here, Bill. <laughs> like yeah. your head is somewhere else. And then it ends. It just, it just ends. And if it ends badly, you just hurt and you miss your people and you kind of mope around for a couple of weeks and then it, you come around, but boy, it's tough. And the guys in our, the guys like yourselves who have been in those rooms, they know that, right? We know that thing. I, I gave a pregame speech a couple of years ago and I talked, it was about one of the, I forget if it was from the Godfather or Goodfellas or whatever is, you know, they talk about this thing we have, right? La Casa Nacho, this thing we have. Yeah, and, I, and I said, this is the thing we have, you know, that we have that no one else has. And so for outsiders, that look at us when a season ends, win or lose, like why is it so hard for these people to let go? Why hard, you know, because it's this thing we have, you know, that if you're not inside the culture, you're not inside the room, um, 
it's hard for you to contemplate it. But if you've ever been in one room, you can empathize and you know, you know, through your experience and your experience, you know, as I know, when I see other teams, you know, uh, win or lose, I know what they're going through, that, that sense of loss, that sense of, you know, it's over and, and, and we don't have this entity. It'll be, we'll have something similar, but it'll be different because the people will be different. Yeah. Well, we've had a lot with you so far. So. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to quote the Godfather of Goodfellas tonight. I really, and I, I hope maybe I got that completely wrong, but I definitely, I never let fat get in the way of a good story, you know, and I always tell the team that, um, you know, and so in my pregame speeches, they, I can see sometimes eyes in the back, like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, he, like, let him go. He's on a roll, you know, so. We're but, letting uh, you go. You're on a roll. <laughs> All good. Go ahead, Coop. So, yeah, moving on to our guest roundtable part of the show. Coach Colfer, I've learned a lot about you and your background. I didn't know you were a Salesianum guy. I knew you'd been at Cabrini for a while. I uh, wasn't sure it was uh, two decades, but man. Uh, so just take us back to how you started with lacrosse and your upbringing there. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Westchester and like, you know, guy like playing sports. We played, you know, started with backyard sports and moved to organizational sports, you know, with Little League and um, um, basketball and swimming in the summer and, you know, football and, and, you know, you, you try them all once and some you try longer than one, you know, and, uh, and then lacrosse and lacrosse kind of, um, in Westchester had been around, you'd see the high school kids playing it. A couple kids across the street played locally at Westchester Henderson. You'd see them throwing it, but we were at that point, you're still playing baseball a lot and, you know, and, uh, and then I think maybe around sixth, seventh grade, we had the opportunity that Westchester rec was, uh, starting teams that young and, and wanted to get into it. And really coach Paul Stankowitz and, and, and the Westchester East coach at the time, coach Collie, um, they were basically started running it and got a couple dads and they, and those guys coached it. Um, and, uh, it's so neat because, uh, coach Stankowitz, who's the Westchester Henderson coach and still is, uh, comes out to a lot of our practices at Cabrini and, and um, you know, he's around especially early parts of the season. Um, and he was like that or that probably that first Saturday when I stepped on the phone, uh, field and didn't know how to put a helmet on, didn't know how to put lacrosse, you know, yeah, didn't know anything wow. about it. Uh, and uh, that's how I got involved in it and continued to play baseball and the other sports, but just, you know, a group of us just really started getting into it and, and the opportunities came to play. Uh, and then it was time to go to high school, you know, living in Westchester, you had a couple of different choices and you can kind of go a different way. And some of the schools, um, 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 that we've considered and, and Slazianum was the right choice and the right fit. And I had an older brother that went there and it just worked out that lacrosse was really just taking off in Delaware at the time. It was well behind Pennsylvania, um, uh, just because of the sheer size of it. And there were some schools that had it. Um, but Sally's, uh, committed to a team, um, right when we started and, um, and it was just, we were in our infancy, you yeah. know, and, um, in, 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 in a funny, weird way, I get to Cabrini and now I'm here, what, 24 years later because of my choice of Slazianum and, and that fact that the first and only coach that I played for at Slazianum was a guy named Pat Scarpello. So I graduate, um, or yeah, I graduate from college. I'm coming back to, to the Philadelphia area. I call him. He says, yeah, come back. I was kind of doing a couple of different jobs like most college kids just trying to figure out, and I was coaching Slazianum for him. So I, then I figured out, okay, what I want to do. I go up to New York and I, I work. Um, you know, in private industry for a few years. And I realized, you know, it was a good experience, but that's not where I want to do. So I call, pick up the phone two or three years. I say, hey, coach, I'm coming back to the Philly area. I'm going to go to grad school. You know, I would love to coach again, you know, to help pay my way through grad school. He said, you know, Steve, yep, absolutely. You know, I want you to have come back uh, and coach. You know, we loved having you. Um, just There's just one little small detail. I said, sure, what is it? He's like, I just resigned from Slazianum. I just took the job at Cabrini College. 
you know, and I said, well, I can't do that. I, I've coached a couple years at the high school with you. I've been out of the game for a couple years. Like, he's like, no, you'll be fine. You'll be good. You know, whatever you don't know, you'll figure it out, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out the college <laughs> game together. Nice. Who knew that phone call would lead to where I am today? And, and, and um, you know, but um, so that, that – you know, I got to grow a program at Slazianum as a player and watch it grow from its beginning. And then when Coach Scarp and myself as one of the assistants got there in, in, in 97, the program at that point, I think, had been three years old uh, and really watched that program grow. So that's really all I know, you know. Um, and um, and, um, and um, it's just been a uh, very uh, lucky and fortuitous, um, you know, um, opportunity that found me early on in lacrosse that led these opportunities, so. We really have that in common, Coach. You know, I've only been in one place. I know. Sal, and that's through the kind of influence and providential reach of the lacrosse gods through a person. Sure. You know, and that was your person. Yeah. My person was Brother Renee Sterner, who was at Calvert Hall when I was there mm-hmm. and was actually more influential in my brother's life, who has some special needs. Mm-hmm. And he had gone there. And I had just stopping by my parents' home in college to, like, do my wash. Yeah. And he's there having dinner with them. And he says, I just got transferred to LaSalle in Philadelphia you think ever coaching and teaching and i was a marketing major mm-hmm. it's the so same kind of phone so call i was a marketing major too you pack up you go and i never <laughs> left like yeah. you packed up you went and you never left either i always say to parents like the bus broke down i got off and then i could never find the bus again <laughs> you great. know what i mean and uh i always tell the story the first day i got kind of interviewed and hired over the phone so now i'm driving from westchester i'm back you know i'm, I'm doing what every mid 20 something who has to come to the realization of like life isn't going exactly as I thought it would senior <laughs> year in college. I moved back in with my parents, sure. right? You know, yeah. I sold my car. I was like borrowing a car they had and I drive. I said, okay, well, we'll you know, I told them about this job opportunity. So I head out from Westchester driving down to Cabrini. And I remember being in the center of Wayne for some reason or not. And there was a sign right in the middle of town. that said Cabrini college, Valley Forge military with an arrow. So I'm like, I'll get to that sign. This is way before Waze and Google and the <laughs> yep. internet and all these things, right? So I'll get to that sign. I'll just follow the arrow. So I follow the arrow and I always tell this to recruits and I go up and, and but the arrow doesn't take you to exactly where you go. It just points you in the general direction. I kept turning maybe one street too far or one too soon. Long story short, I come back to the center way and this, I'm dating myself. I pull over, I get out and I go to a payphone. And when I always have to explain, I, I tell the story, recruits look at me like, payphone? Like, what's this right. talking about? You know, I get my quarter out. I call the athletic office. I said, listen, I'm at the movie theater here in Wayne. I need to get up to camp. Oh, all right, you know, where are you? Go up North Wayne Avenue, go to your second travel. Like, maybe right, keep going down. We're down. And that's how I found Cabrini, you know? And that uh, was my first day. And, uh, you know, 24 <laughs> plus years later, I haven't left. Um, but, uh, it's uh it's been uh it's been like i said a wonderful partnership and and um and the similarities is is sometimes uh you know is is is, is uh eerie you know when you think about some of the people that have uh, influenced the where you are in life you know and some of the random chance encounters we have yeah now so. in between on that story the bus stopped at scranton university yes. where you were a midfielder yeah turned long stick yeah in the Poconos. Yeah. So help, yes. it, help us along here. Yeah. So <laughs> it, that was, uh, again, a program that was relatively new. And, and it was not even a school that was on my radar. Uh, uh, my father, uh, you know, uh, was a, a proud uh, Jesuit educated, went to St. Joe's Prep and went to St. Joe's University. Uh, and um, never really, you know, always let his children kind of guide their college search process. Was involved, him and my mom, but never really were over. Uh, overbearing in that and um, so I had you know back in those days and coach you remember this like 
college coaches would call high school coaches and get a list of players, right? They, 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 we didn't have the same outlets to be showcased. There wasn't club teams. There wasn't, there wasn't. So they would call Coach Leahy at and say, give me four good players that would fit my university, my, my program. I need two minutes. And then you would come down to like a, a room, a conference room or whatever, and he would come in and do his presentation, you know, and it was, and they'd give you that packet of information and you would ask questions. Present and, on those kids? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like, and, and, and it was a cold call, you know, yeah. and I was doing that my first early years at Cabrini, you know, I would just drive up to schools and say, I'm coming to town coach, you know, I have a packet of my trunk was filled and long story short, um, you know, that's how you got recruiting relationships going, yeah. you know, and, and they had maybe a chance to watch some film, sometimes not. It was all word of mouth, a lot of it. So Scranton was a school that wasn't even involved in that part of the process with me. I was looking at other schools and in different geographic locations. And um, really the only local school I was looking at was Drexel at the time. And and, uh, and so my dad, through a connection, he was friends with a buddy uh, who was the director of admissions, a former Jesuit that he had at St. Joe's. So he was the might come up for a day. And, and honest to God, when I got in the car, I knew nothing about the University of Scranton. I thought it was, I didn't even know it was a, a Jesuit school. I didn't know it was a Catholic school. I knew nothing about it. I mean, I thought it was like, you know, got up there and, um, you know, we had set it up where I took the tour and met some guys on the team and, and um, you know, met the coach and went down to all the facilities and and just had a wonderful experience, you know. And I remember we were driving back home either that day or maybe the next day we stayed over and, and my dad, you know, in his very, you know, uh, subtle ways. He said, what do you think? I said, well, I'm going there. You know, <laughs> like, and he's like, what? You know, like almost swerved off the highway. Like he was, he wasn't even on your radar when we headed out yesterday morning. I said, it's just the right fit. It's the right feel. The people I interact with the vibe. And, and, and so that's kind of how I ended up, how I ended up is that I love competing. I love playing. I love doing whatever I could. Like I love being involved. And so I'm standing at practice one day with a short stick in my hand and we had, I think, two LSMs, and literally within a matter of, in my memory, it was minutes. You know, one goes down with a hamstring, and another one goes down with literally like a fractured ankle. And I remember I was like in a drill. It was like a ground ball drill. It was like a, you know, a three-on-two ground ball drill where the coaches, you, know, you just run out there and, you know, smack each other up, and you go. And we didn't have a, any poles. And, and the defensive coach at the time was just standing there. And the one of the, I think the kid, like, walking back from, like, the ankle had it, like, was using it as kind of a crutch. And, and our old defensive coach just grabbed it out of his hands and take it. <laughs> and I took it and, like, ran out and got the first ground ball that was ever presented to me. And then from that moment on, he's like, well, stay in the drill. And it just kind of just went from there. It was just opportunity, you know. And, and I just liked competing and I wanted to play. And if I saw a pathway to get more reps or, you know, to get more uh, – uh, opportunity that that's kind of how I found it so and um, I think it's always influenced me you know coaching is being to find guys that can be versatile you know guys that can play different positions that that like to compete you know that just that love to practice and um, and that was that was that was that was me you know no matter the sport I loved going to uh, practice you know and, and I think that has a great influence on probably why I chose the profession that I did um, and um, the games were obviously special too but I some guys who were really good players that I played with, and we all have, don't like practicing. Like they, they'd rather skip it all together, you know. And I loved it. I, I, I just, I just, and maybe, you know, and that's kind of how I made that opportunity found me, and just try to take advantage of it. So your story gives me a smile. We had Zaire Franklin two years ago. He plays for the Indi Indianapolis Colts. Yep. Breaks my heart to yeah. say, Baltim yeah. Baltimore Colts coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, he was in yourself. the weight room at school. He's a graduate, yeah. and he was working out, and we were chatting. And I said, Hey, would you talk to the guys real quick? And he gave, I was all ready for this big, long NFL story, you know, and he, he said to the guys, you know how I made the Indianapolis Colts? I stayed healthy. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's like your story. Yeah. Like he just, as guys went down in front of him, he kept moving up the depth chart. Yeah. He said, I was in great shape. I stayed healthy. And then my opportunity came after three or four guys got hurt. I yeah. stepped right in, played well, never turned back. And I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? At that five minutes before, if they put a long pole man, I was the third best one. And that five minutes later, I became the number one guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I'm okay with that. You know, stay I mean, healthy. Exactly. Stay healthy. <laughs> Your international lacrosse experience is pretty unique. Team Bermuda just sounds pretty cool. How'd you get involved with them? Uh, again, you know, universe, uh, I, a uh, guy who I went to the university of Scram with got, uh, got transferred down there through a job, ended up to going down. He brought a stick down. He's a long Island guy, played at St. Anthony's high school. He's down on the beach one day, throwing the ball, uh, with a buddy who was visiting the Island. I think another guy walks down the beach and says, Oh, you know, playing lacrosse. It was a Canadian guy who had been ended up in the Island. They start getting together. I think they, six of them got together and played three on three, you know, three on three, you know, just started going. Um, they applied in 06 to be in the world championships in the developmental division. They were doing a, a, you know, didn't think anything of it. They threw the application in, they got approved. And so wow. I went down in 06 kind of in an advisory role, me and a, a former teammate of mine, who's a high school coach up in Long Island, uh, Tommy Rooney at St. Dom's. And uh, we went down and kind of just gave him a boot camp and gave him some structure and off they went to the, um, World Championships in, uh, I think it was that one was in Ontario. I didn't go. They came back from that experience and said, and more guys had come to the island. You know, Bermuda is, is a unique place because of its location to the United States, Canada, Europe, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of business, a lot of industries are um, headquartered there. So people come through the island. Uh, and, um, and a lot of Bermudian families will then send sons and daughters over to the U.S. for school, and a lot of them end up going to boarding school, and a lot of them in the New England area, where lacrosse obviously is a big footprint. So that all kind of came together, and my buddy uh, Steve Michael in Bermuda said, hey, you know, would you be interested in coming down and kind of formalizing this thing and being yeah. a coach and putting the staff together and those types of things? And, and that's how it happened. And to your point, you know, um, the lacrosse uh, was secondary to the fact that I got to go to Bermuda <laughs> about 50 times a year at one point. Uh, and, uh, Good run news, practices. you're the coach. The bad yeah, news yeah, exactly. might not be a team yet. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, there's not, a, there's not a bad place to be in Bermuda, right? It's beautiful, um, and um, it's easy to get to, and the hospitality. And, and we just and – it, and it grew, and it just took off, and it was so much fun, and, and – and, uh, you know, uh, to be involved with that team and then to go to England with that team in 10. Then we went to Denver in 14. Uh, I was scheduled to go with them in 18 when the games got shifted to Israel. I had just had I had two, you know, infants at home that I think I probably would have ended up divorced if I left for you. Know, because when you go to Internet World Games, as, as coach knows, they're not, they're, it's not like a long weekend. You're gone for, you know, close to three weeks, you know, uh, and um, it just I couldn't couldn't make that happen um but um, i'm hopefully to stay involved in it the international game it's for anyone who can go to the world games as a player as a fan as a coach you know do it it's it's a festival it is it is the col the colors the pageantry um you know I, obviously i'm a united states citizen i'm a proud american but like when we would walk on the on the field as, as you know under the bermudian flag and they're playing you know god save the queen you know you'd get chills you know and 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 the handshakes and, and the camaraderie and the brotherhood you know is just it's just something if you ever had a chance if they ever host it again i hope they do in manchester at the university it's such a cool spot because you leave the athlete village and you go right through 
you know, basically the, the, the fan village where they have vendors and, you know, the beer tents and the food tents and they march you through and your national anthem is playing and you have a flag bearer and you're in uniform and coaches, I mean, you literally, I'm getting chills talking about it, you know, and again, uh, it's just such a cool, unique experience, even from a fan perspective, to be there. And the players are right there, and they're interacting with either the Canadian guys and the U.S. players, who are obviously the best in the biz, are right there, elbow to elbow with you. And, and you really—it's what makes our game special. You know, it really, truly does. Uh, so uh, I was happy and proud to be involved in that, and um, I learned a lot. Um, and again, trying to. It's just funny when you think about it, like growing another program, you know what I mean? And, and, and being involved in a program that, um, you know, was really was in its infancy. I had no idea how long that commitment was for you. Yeah. It's yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's been uh, – it's and, and I'm still involved. I'm still advised and talk to them all the time. It's just, you know, the world lacrosse right now is kind of in a weird spot. We're trying to move it towards the Olympics, the World Championships. Are teams like Bermuda going to be able to stay in those lower divisions? Uh, and then COVID happens, and that kind of threw it all for a wrench. So, but um, there's still there's still good passion down there in Bermuda for it, and uh, and um, so it's been a great experience. How'd you like the international rules? Did you have a favorite one, or? Uh, you know, uh, I mean the, the the CBO, which is the in, in, for anyone out there, there's a four officials in international cross, and I know you know this, especially your experiences. But there's an official who's in the box. Oh, uh, they're my buddies. Yeah, <laughs> I get there early, meet them, greet them. It's great when their their master their 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 English uh, is strong. It's not so great when English is like their third language. You know, uh, that's where the struggles begin. Um, because if you step on a hair too soon before that player fully clears the field, it's a penalty, right? And then you're trying to argue your case for someone who doesn't even speak your own language, right? So, and then there's the, if you get a foul, you have to sit in, in, in the chair, right? You're, you know, and, 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 and um, but if your butt is not fully in the chair, right? If you even had one cheek up, the time's not running. So you've just played 60 minutes, 60 seconds of man down, but your guy's got his cheek up or whatever, or he's leaning forward, they're not running the clock. So a one-minute penalty can turn into a two-minute, and you're again arguing with someone who's not comprehending yeah. anything, you're, and you're trying to figure out. You got to sit fully in the chair. You don't leave it. <laughs> two so, cheeks. Yeah, it's those are crazy, and then the length of them. You know, the 80-minute games, the 20-minute quarters, they are, and it's a uh, it's a bear. It's a grind, um, but it is a uh, it's like running a marathon for coaching. And, and I don't know if coach you felt that way too with your experience, but when you get done that eight or nine day twenty, and you're you're playing game a day with maybe one day off. You're doing film. You're doing scouting. You come home like physically and mentally exhausted, but you are such a better coach for it. You know, such a better coach. You're putting in zones and man ups and 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 rides and clears, like with salt and pepper shakers at lunch for a seven o'clock game that night. You know, I mean, and uh, you just have to learn to improvise on the fly because there's you just don't have the, you know, in the college game we'll go. We'll play Saturday, Saturday, you know. I mean, I get six days and seven, you know, to prepare and rest, and you know, and you're playing, you know, eight out of nine days and trying to win games. It's 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 a marathon. It's a grind, yeah, yeah. but it's rewarding. And you're right. The clock. I had the high school clock in my mind, which is even worse. Yeah. And you don't even know you have the clock in your mind until you look up and you and you're thinking to yourself, "That's the end of the quarter." Yep. And then you look up and you go, "There's still ten minutes left. Yeah. What's going on here?" Yeah, it's it's it's. Um, it's it's an adventure, but it's one that's well worth it, and uh, and it's so good for our game. And to see how the game has grown at the international level is just it's been an awesome thing to be part of. So, we talked a lot about recruiting the right fit kind of young man for your program, and 
maybe I'm incorrect here, so you can correct me, but I've always been impressed, at least from a distance, that you seem to have given young people a second chance. Is that true? And if so, um, where does, you know, where does yeah, that come I from? Because it's, it's made a difference in lives. I think it's, again, being self-aware. And so when we grew, the, when we started growing the program, like sec, some second chance guys had been recommended to us or reached out to us. And, and so we took our time to learn what the story was. I've always said, and I've said it to an administration at Cabrini, I've said it to families, I've said it to anyone who listened, this country was founded on second chances. People came here seeking a second chance in life, whether for economic pros uh, prosperity or religion or you know, personal freedom or liberty, whatever. That's the bedrock of our country. And so I've always tried to intertwine. So yes, we have given young men second chances or a first chance that no one else would give them coming out of high school. Um, maybe they weren't, you know, the valedictorian or straight A student, or maybe they had a bad year, or maybe there was a transitional from one high school to the other or, or a life event that happened. And, but the one thing you have to do is you have to take the time to listen to the story, get to know the people and the players involved. And when I, you know, and, 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 and really then make a case for yourself and advocate and do it if you believe in it, not just because you can run up and down the field and score, not because you can shoot the ball in excess of, you know, 90 mile or whatever his skill set is it really has to come down so yeah we don't run from that you know we embrace that and I think it's about who we are and I think there has been we've had guys reach out to us knowing that that's who we are and that I will take that conversation and I'm okay with that and and there are most of them have worked out not all of them have but I wouldn't trade the ones I can't pick and choose I can't go back in time and say I would have done this I wouldn't done that um, and I'll always take the conversation. You know, I'm always interested in listening. I'm interested in the story, and I'm I love the comeback story. I love the redemption. I love whatever it is. What it, you know, it's always appealed to me. You know, in in uh, in in movies or literature or whatever it is. And and I think we've tried to embody that. Uh, and like I said, we've been very fortunate and blessed that uh, most of the time it has worked out. You know, and uh, we've had some of our best players and some of my best relationships that I have as they graduate alumni are guys that we gave a second chance to. And those are the guys that are most thankful and committed to our program on the, and, and sustaining the culture within our program because they were the, uh, the beneficiary of that. And, There's uh, a Jesuit somewhere who educated you. <laughs> listening, <laughs> really proud of your, of your answer. Serving. Redemption, second well, chances. you know, exactly, <laughs> serving leader. And, I, and it's funny, I had some of those things in some, I, I said it publicly somewhere else, and, and um, some two of my former alma maters, Slazian and Scranton, which have been mentioned, both picked up on it and, and, and went to social media with it and said, you know, took full credit for those, and I give them full credit for those educate, you know, Slazian was an oblate school, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, those lessons were, were, were um, you know, um, taught to me early in life, and, and obviously they, they stayed with me. So A man for others. Yep, that's it. You know, you have a hell of a guess when you save the national championship for last. Um, but coach, I mean, 20 years at, at Cabrini, uh, if you could just talk us through, you know, maybe some of the stepping stones towards that magical 2019 season culminating with the title game here in Philadelphia um, and, and what stands out and, and just give our listeners kind of a glimpse uh, to that fairy tale. I mean, someone asked me this, and I forget who it was that summer, and said, you know, how did it feel? And I said, well, I said, there's just there's one thing I can think of. You know, I, I, you think about the major life events in your, in, in, in your life. You know, I, um, you know y y I met my wife, and, and we dated for three years, and um, we got married. So I waited three years. We, have, we get pregnant, right? And we wait nine months, and we have a baby, right? I go to Cabrini and I wait 20 years <laughs> to win a national championship. How do you think it felt? You know, and, and uh, 
it was 20 years today on the radio. I'm driving in. I'm trying to get this this interview in my head, and, and one of the sports talk radio says, uh, to enjoy the bliss, you have to bleed. To enjoy the bliss, you have to bleed. You know, and I thought, wow, that's like, yeah, like you, you that what makes our journey and that feeling and all those is all of that disappointment. It's you know, it's why I was so adamant in thanking the alums that along the way that had taken a chance on a, a, a upstart program that had built us literally brick by brick. You know, and, and, and I thank the local high school coaches and club coaches that recommended a player, you know, year by year. All of that was part of the foundation uh, and, and that led to 2019. The 2019 was the team, right, is, is part of our program, um, and they won the championship, and we hope it's not our last, right? Uh, and we're going to continue to strive to stay at that level and win mo more than one, um, but you know, it was a culmination of all those things. So I, I found like I was humbled, I was honored, you know, to be even in that whole experience. It was humbling, it was honor, it was just all those things. Um, but I really made it a point to try to reconnect and, 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 and thank alums and their parents and, 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 and former administrators and professors, all those people that you cross, uh, intersect with in your life that have a chance to reconnect with. And, and I think that, so it was all those things. To have it in Philly, unbelievable. I mean, uh, you know, to be at a stadium that I've been to, I can't tell you how many football games over the years, and to cheer on that team and being a Philly guy and uh, and uh, to do it in, in that field. And, and uh, one of the guys in the locker room, I think it was before the game, maybe it was the day before we were practicing, he's like, you know, we're season ticket holders here at the Eagles. My dad's been season ticket like. We have to win, or I'll never come back to another <laughs> game here ever again. You know, and I, in my brain, I was like, "Yeah." And so, jump ahead, we win the 19 in May. I get the, you know, and I've never had season tickets. I'm, I'm America's guest, so I, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always at like four or five games on someone else's You're season. Exactly. And uh, but uh, I go back to see the Eagles Seahawks game in fall of night, and and to walk into that stadium and be like, I stood there, and our team was there, and that's the tunnel we came out of, and that's where we jumped on each other, and that's the net, you know, it's 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 unbelievable, you know, and, and uh, we always say it's beyond unbelievable, and uh, so yeah, it's all those things, and then some. Uh, the balancing act now is, and, and and obviously COVID has thrown a major wrench in it, is the you know, is trying to defend that, you know, and uh, a, a good friend of mine who uh, is in Division One coaching, he said, uh, you know, typical Steve Colford, you know, he wins one game finally and gets to celebrate this championship for like two, maybe three <laughs> years, you know what I mean? Like, well, with the other coach, <laughs> you know, it. and so, uh, you know, and uh, it was never planned that way, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it's been a wonderful experience and to have opportunities like this and so forth. It's, but what we've tried to do is remain the same program be the same people, uh, recruit the same type of kid, uh, and, um, and, um, and then try to just kind of keep that, that fire burning, you know, and, uh, and uh, not let that fire go out, but create more of an inferno uh, instead of dousing the flame. And that's what our, our challenge is, is in the 21 season, and, and as long as they'll have me and as long as I have the, the passion and the energy, which I think I'll have for a very long time to keep doing it the right way and continue to educate and mentor and lead young men, um, you know, on the lacrosse field and in life. So it's outstanding. Yeah. Well, congrats. We're big I fans. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and I, like I say, the local club teams and high school coaches and, and all of them really have helped us build this program brick by brick. And, uh, and I've always said, 
you know, that we were going to win a national championship. I can, I can, there's guys on our team for, for years that can remember the speech in the locker room when we've lost in the tournament that he always said that he always, and it was very emotional. Um, but I said, you know, you're senior in this room. We didn't do it. I don't apologize for anything. We tried our best. Um, but you will one day be there to celebrate it. And, and so many, I mean, we had, I think 22,000 fans at the stands that day. And I felt like 21, five were Cabrini fans, you know <laughs> what I mean? And, uh, and uh, we were extremely fortunate in our challenge now is to try to go get another one. And that's what we're excited to do. And as I mentioned to you last week, you, your staff, your administration, your men, you made all of Philly proud. I appreciate that. That's, uh, it was one of the cooler uh, experiences in my life and so much fun. I'd like to do it again. So. <laughs> Let's run it back. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Coach, it's been a great show. So we're going to bring it home with our rapid-fire NXT homework. Let's go! I'm going to ask you for some homework for three different categories and then kind of what you're reading or listening to. So you ready to play? Yeah. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for players who are listening? Uh, find a way to compete each day. You know, it, it, it's hard to say go play lacrosse or pick up your stick every day because some of these kids are playing football. They're in soccer. Or the weather doesn't quite. But find a way to compete each day, you know, whether it's especially even now during COVID. Hey, I did 50 push-ups yesterday. I'm going to do 51 tomorrow. I'm doing jump rope. I'm doing a minute circuit. I'm doing a two-minute circuit. Find a way to either compete by yourself. You and your younger brother want to go out and play pickup basketball. Compete. Like, drive. Like, compete. And, and, and there's no reason you can't, even with all the barriers and restrictions we have in place right now, you alone can create some competition even against yourself. And I think if you start doing that, then you won't be afraid of the com as the competition increases and the level of competition increases, it'll feel normal to you. And, and you'll be comfortable in that space. And we all know from coaching and playing, whatever, there are some players that, that don't, don't feel comfortable in that competition and they, 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 they don't rise to the moment and it's just because they haven't trained their brain to kind of do that. So I would say find ways to compete uh, checkers, check. I don't care what it is, you know. Race the guy across the street down there who's the freshest one to get the, you know, the garage, uh, the trash can down to the curb, you know. And, and one little thing a day, I think, trains our brain to do that. So I like it. Homework for parents who are listening. This goes back to my one other part when I was talking about a point like, you know, and you were talking about retention and, and really creating a support network, which obviously we believe in. But let kids do more. You know, make sure your kids are filling out their college applications. Let them be the one who, you know, figures out where the link to the financial aid paperwork is. Let them, because that's, that is going to get cut off. We'll support them as best we can, but not to the level that mom and dad can. There's not a college coach, an academic dean, an academic support person, which we have tremendous resources, that can do it to the level if mom and dad are, are doing 90% of it. And then you have that support's gone, parents go home, and we do as best we can, but they haven't. You know, we'll have kids who have to turn a form in, will walk past the building that the form has to go into, come to my office to ask me to walk them back to the building where I'm like, you passed it, you know, coming here, just stop in. Well, what if it's the wrong office? Guess what? They'll tell you where the right office is. <laughs> like, it's that try, like, that is something. So letting go, and I know as parents, which we all do, we want to do the best by our kids. We want to be supportive. We want to be loving. We want to, you know, teach them the right way. Um, but especially for high school kids, let them do a little bit more and, and let them fail in doing more um, because the valuable lessons will come in those moments. And then I think they'll be successful college students. They'll be successful young adults. And, and, and they'll also obviously be successful student athletes, I believe. So homework for coaches. 
um, you know, take a class in uh, YouTube. I mean, because if you don't know how to do something right now, I mean, YouTube is the answer. I mean, I, I use it non, I mean, if it's out there, it's there, right? I mean, and I hate to say it, but like, you'd have to go physically, you know, learn from someone or listen to someone back in the day in these coaching clinics, like, use YouTube, consume it as much as you can. If you want to run a new ride or a clear or a man up, like, it's out there. I mean, and, and people are putting, there's so much, uh, information and there's other platforms obviously but like you know YouTube is as simple as is use it as much as possible and pick up the phone send text calls don't be ashamed don't be you know hesitant to send me an email you know or send me a text message or send me or use a connection to get to me to say hey coach and and, and or someone else because you know we haven't been coaching like we've been normally doing since March you know 13th 2020 so we've lost our away a little bit so when a coach reaches out to me and says teach me you know like it reinvigors us it keeps us connected it, it, it creates value for us and so take advantage of that as a young coach as a high school coach or a club coach or whatever and and as you can see I'm passionate about talking about lacrosse and 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 teaching lacrosse and and also the life lessons that come with it but you know utilize this time which is a negative in some but use it as potentially as a positive as a coach to to, to advance your craft and last, what are you listening to or reading these days? You mean other than the, the Marty Cooperon and Joey Leahy <laughs> podcast series? You got it, I right? Mean, I mean, do I have another choice? Uh, I mean, there is so much out there right now. Reading, I am, like I said, I, I'm like into three books right now. I'm a guy that likes to read about 75%, and my intention is to finish it, and then I'll go away, and I'll bring another book with me, and I'll start another one. But, you know, I'm a big history guy. I'm reading a, a couple books right now. I'm reading one on... Um, uh, the Blitz in England, and and uh, I'm also reading one on the um, Ardennes campaign, the Battle of the Bulge, as we refer to it right now. Uh, I love stuff. I love the the one book that is always, and I'll go back and reread it. There's two books that I'll go back and reread and, and pull parts out. There's um, both written by former coaches. One is um, They Call Me Coach by John Wooden, which is kind of like my Bible. Um, you know, I have it, and I've always given out to other young coaches who I take on my staff, and you know, it's, it's a hard read. It's, 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 but it's, there's so many pearls in there that I love. And then there's another one. And this again goes back to building programs. There's a guy named Pete Carell who, who coached basketball at Princeton and he wrote a book and it's probably only a hundred pages, but it's, it's, it's the smart steal from the strong. And it was basically a, you know, whole thing was about at Princeton. We weren't going to get the most athletic, the tallest guys, this guy yeah, could have all the skill sets, but we were going to have to take concepts from other places and incorporate it into what our, our identity or our self being self-aware of Princeton. And that was the design of, you know, the Princeton offense and, and the weave and, you know, and utilizing their strengths. And I think that's just such a great, great read. And I've, I've had an opportunity through, I've spoken about this book before, being able to be put in touch with Coach Grell, who's 90 or 91 and living uh, and locally. And uh, so it's really kind of neat. And, and um, but, uh, you know, I always, I find myself, I go back and reread books, you know, and parts of books. Uh, I, they're like an old comfortable shoe to me, you know, and, and I, I get something else out of it. And I'm okay with that. My wife is always trying to get rid of books like, hey, can we donate, which I'm a believer in, right? We never throw books out. And, but I have stacks of books, you know, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I, I love reading that book, you know, in front of the fire, you know, and so it's just, we have to find new spaces for those, but I, I do do that often and I find them, uh, I pull something different out of it each time, so. Coach, it's been excellent uh, hanging with you here tonight at the office. I'm sure we could go all night, 
Uh, really appreciated your enthusiasm and sharing that with our audience. So much great advice and uh, fun stories. We're going to sign off from Concha Hawkin for Coach Pulfer, for Bill Leahy, our producer Justin. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Be safe. Crushed it. Awesome. Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available for Bermuda. <laughs>